Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. So we've been doing a series on what Jesus did, and we're going to continue that series this morning. And this morning I want to talk a bit, and I want to preach on something that's not necessarily, we, we can't look at what Jesus did and do what he did, but we will learn a lot of lessons about how we live based on what he did. And the, what I want to speak around is the fact that Jesus became a man. So we are, are already human, so we can't become that. But he was God and he became a man. And I, yeah, so that's why I say we will learn some lessons this morning, hopefully, from what he did in becoming a man. As a bit of a kickoff, I want to, at home, I want to tell you a, bit about, a little bit of an issue I have at home at the moment. Not, not in my house, in my property. Um, my, there is no issue between my, me and my wife. Um, make that very clear. Um, so we, I have a carport, park my cars under the carport, and on a couple of meters in front of the cars is my boundary wall, and on the other side of that, there's a bit of a servitude, so open piece of land, which is quite nice to have. It means I have no one right on, my, on, my, on that wall, and I have no cars driving right outside that wall, which is both nice. Um, but on the other side, well, not also, but added to that, on the, on the side of the carport, we have this big... Um, that our neighbor has built a big, so I'm just taking the time so I don't run over, has built quite a big hedge. Or not, they don't, you don't build a hedge, you grow a hedge. They've grow, grown quite this big hedge, which also is nice because it means it blocks a little bit of visibility. Both of those are really cool, excepting that both the open piece of land and the hedge seem to attract mice. Now, I don't really have an issue with mice, but when they live in the place that they're found to live, I do have an issue. And the place that they're found... I discovered it one day driving to work. I turned my fan on, and I had this faint smell of wee. <laughs> and then I opened up the bonnet, and in my bonnet, I could find, for the first things that I started to notice was little, uh, my dog's pellets in the bonnet. <laughs> so I had to start fishing those. And I think the last straw was when one day I found a whole lot of trees and pieces of trees in my bonnet, literally. I found a whole lot of grass and bits of a tree in my bonnet that I had to fish out. So I've not, again, not that I have anything against mice, but I really would prefer them not to choose my engine bay as a living spot. Now, maybe that's because I don't really understand why they would choose to live there. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. And that's the point of this morning, is that Jesus, God, who was part of the, part of the Trinity, came to earth to become a man to understand us. Now, you might say, yeah, but God made us. Surely he knows everything. Well, do you think God knew what it meant to be tempted? I'll touch on that a bit later, but I just want to ask one or two opening questions that we can consider. Do you think God knew what that was like for us? There's a few things that I, that one is probably the big one, but there's a few things that I don't believe God understood of us from Scripture. I will show you this morning that I, that I believe that to be true and why it was important for him to become a man. So I have three points this morning off the back of that story. There's three points. The first one is that Jesus took on flesh. And my, my key scriptures this morning, I'm not going to read the whole, whole passage. It's Hebrews chapter um, 2 through to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. I encourage you to go read it. Um, it's, there's some really good stuff about this whole topic in there. So go and read it, but I'm going to touch on some other scriptures today. And as a starting point, Jesus became flesh. I'm not going to turn there first, though. If we can move, uh, go to John chapter 1. Verses 1 to 
That's a fairly well-known piece of scripture. And it says this. It's just kind of driving home the fact that Jesus took on flesh. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So it makes it clear. The Word there, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, if you look, it has a capital W. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. So it's very clearly saying he was God. There's no doubt about that. But now if you jump down to uh, verse 14, it says, And the Word, still capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So at the beginning of time, Jesus sat with God. And then the Bible clearly there says that Jesus then became like us. He became a man. The Word became flesh. And if you go to Hebrews, let's now turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17. I'll just read the one scripture for now. And it says the same thing, the writer of Hebrews, or a similar thing. It says, therefore, so it's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made in the likeness of his brother, of his brothers, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He had to be made in the likeness of his brothers, referring to us. He had to be made like us. So the key thing here, the key point is that, and I want to drive this home, is that Jesus didn't leave heaven and leave everything about being God in heaven and come and be a man. That would never have been able, that would never have worked. I love what Max Lucado, he writes a book, and in the book he says that a just God, sorry, I'm going to make sure I get this right, a just God, Jesus, would have been able to save us but never understand us. A just man, Jesus, would have been able to understand us, but never save us. And he uses this, he coins this phrase, which I love. He says, but a God-man, Jesus, can both save us and understand us. And that is a beautiful picture. The fact that he came, and we need to understand that at both times, at every single time on earth, he was both God and man. There wasn't a moment where he didn't, he wouldn't sit in a situation and say, okay, right now I'm, I need kind of the, this kind of power from God as being God, so I'll just lay off the manly, the, the human side and be God. And later on, okay, well, this is not a difficult situation. It's fine. I can be a man in this situation, put off the godly side. He didn't do that. In every situation, he was both God and man. And that's such an important understanding for our salvation. When we talk around salvation, talk around the fact that we are saved, it's so important to understand that God understands us. That God knows us. And the, the next point will touch on that. We need to, that needs to be driven home so clearly that he was both God and man in every single situation. He was both. And that leads me to the second point. In being man, my second point is that he was also tempted. And I'm going to spend a fair bit of time on this, on this point. And the first thing I want to just deal with, and I know Lainey touched on this a, a little while ago, the fact that Temptation is not sin. But I want to just speak a little bit more around that. I think two weeks ago you spoke about touching that a bit. Um, I actually wasn't here. I just know that Lenny did touch on it. So if there is a duplication of what's said, it's obviously the spirit leading because I, I wasn't here for that week. So go to, if you turn to um, James chapter 1, straight after the book of Hebrews, the next book, James chapter 1. And let's start by reading verses 1 to but, uh, no, verses 14 is the first one I want to read, actually. Uh, no, 
sorry, 12 to 15. James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Did no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God? And I've lost my place because I looked up. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, this is very important, but each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desires. When desire, so then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I'm going to use quite a, a hard imagery this morning, and I'm sorry to, to use this, but it's what I see in Scripture. The, the Scripture kind of points to this thing of conceiving, which is about giving birth, okay? It's about kind of getting a baby. And when I look at this, about the fact of, of temptation, I want to talk a little bit around temptation and understand why Jesus was not, or why temptation is not sin. And, and the fact is, temptation, if we look there, temptation starts with desire. We have a desire for something that's, it could be a desire for something good. It could be a desire for something bad. It's just a desire. Desire is not sin. But then what happens is Satan comes and he starts to kind of entice us with that desire. So um, as a man, I have a natural, I'm a man. So I have natural urges as a man, sexually. That's the honest truth. If we don't know that, then that's, I don't know. But we know that, I think, I hope. Um, and that being said, if a lady walks past me who I, who is fairly pretty, if I think is pretty, and I look at her, there's a, a natural desire to appreciate beauty, okay? If I continually look at her, that's a problem. But if I just look and notice past, say to my wife, sure, she's pretty, and then move on, I have, what I've done is the natural desire to appreciate something as pretty is, is an okay thing. I haven't taken that a step further. If I then continue to dwell on that desire and continue to kind of sit on that, what happens is the Bible that um, James says that then desire, that desire now becomes temptation. And it speaks about temptation is now you've conceived this thing, okay? You've got, you, it's like I have this thing growing inside of me. We have an option at that point to abort. Again, to use a hard word, but there's a reality in this. I have an option at that point to abort. And she say, no, no, God, this is not who you've made me to be because I'm a new creation in Christ. Deal with it and move on. I have that option. If I choose not to, the Bible then tells us that that then kind of grows. And we, you almost like you nurture it, you, you start to think about it, and you start to grow it. And then eventually it gives birth to sin. And that is when sin starts. So first of all, it's taken the step and said temptation starts, but that's not sin. Okay? And we're going to look in a moment at when Jesus was tempted. So temptation is not sin, but it's if we dwell in the temptation and allow it to grow in us, that it becomes sin. But the one, here's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that once we've sinned, there is still this road before it gives birth to death, or before it bring, uh, leads to death. Because that's what it says, it eventually becomes death. And death is eternal separation from God. But at any point along the road, we have a choice to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've messed up, forgive me. And you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is he comes and he forgives us. And that is the beauty of the, of the gospel of Jesus. But before that, if you go back up to James, also in James chapter 1, verses 2, uh, 2 to 4, he, he deals with a slightly different thing. He looks at something else. He says, 
count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. So certain scriptures say temptations, or certain versions say temptations. The original word there is also temptations. So when you meet temptations of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So understand, there are times when, 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 we, when Jesus or the Father allows us to be tempted. So he can build our faith. He can make us steadfast in our faith. But as I said, so the thing is that temptation, we must know that temptation is not, is not sin. And, and I want, that's one of my things this morning that I want you to walk away with. Sometimes we condemn ourselves because, oh, I, I had this temptation to do something. That's not sin. That's life. We must know that. That's life. It happens to every one of us. It's how we deal with that. And the, re, the big thing for me that tells me that temptation cannot be sin is I'm going to look now at the fact that Jesus was tempted. And I want to use this story as an example for something. But the fact is, if Jesus was perfect and he was tempted, there is no way that temptation can be sin because Jesus was perfect and he was tempted. So please, this morning, that's one of the big things I want you to walk away with. All of us, myself included, just because we face temptation doesn't make us sinful. Yes, often, we, if we're honest, that leads to sin, but the temptation itself is not sin. It's how we deal with it. And I want to give a practical handle on dealing that before I move on. And that is, if you find you are tempted regularly in a specific area, find someone who you trust, who is strong in that area, who doesn't face temptation, and ask them if you can be accountable. Because that's how we defeat sin, is we, we draw along brothers who are maybe a bit further down the road in certain areas and are able to help us through. And sometimes it's just a phone call. Hey, I'm really struggling. Please walk this with me. Well, hey, I was just tempted towards this. And then you can celebrate afterwards because you made the phone call and you actually didn't fall into sin. Into sin. And I speak to myself in this as well. I'm, not, I'm certainly not perfect. Not in, not in many ways. <laughs> so, but now I want to talk a little bit around the fact that Jesus was tempted. And if you go look in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, it's the temptation of Jesus that speaks about it uh, in both those sections. And as I was preparing, I felt there were three major temptations that we see, see happen to Jesus. And I felt in those, there were three points that we are still tempted in today. And I want to speak around those. So the story of Jesus being tempted, basically what happens is he's in the desert. He's actually being, if you go read in the, in the um, account in Luke, he's actually being, being tempted already in the desert. But kind of, he's been fasting for 40 days, being tempted during that 40 days. But then he comes out and he's coming to the end of this, end of this time. And there's kind of like this, this climax of the, of the temptation that Satan brings to him. And the first temptation that he does is he takes him, he, uh, Satan kind of says to him, well, you've been kind of not eating for 40 days. You're a little bit hungry. Just, just turn these rocks into bread and, and you'll be, you know, then you can eat something. And Jesus' response is, is the key here. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what I felt here is that we are still tempted now with this thing of reliance. Where do we put our reliance? Where do we put our trust? Are we relying on ourselves or do we rely on God? And Reuben had a word this morning um, in pre, uh, just before we, we met. And, I, and he didn't know what I was preaching, but it really fits in with us. So Reuben, if you can come share it, please. So two weeks back, the King's School under nine picket team was playing at uh, Bedford View Primary. And um, as, the, as, the, as the King's School kids were lining up, um, 
Notile and Ilani's little boy. He's quite tall. So I was, I was looking there, and I was standing quite far, and I was looking there at him, and he was a head taller than the boy that was in front of him. And as I'm watching this, I feel God say, remind me of 1 Samuel, where um, Saul is anointed to be king. But when they were looking for him, and the Bible says in 1 Samuel that he was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. But when he was anointed to be king, and when they called him, they couldn't find him because he was hiding away. He felt like he's not worthy. He's not the one that God had called. And God reminded me that many times he calls us, he equips us, but we feel so unworthy. We feel we're not the ones, Lord, that you have called to do this. And uh, my encouragement, and I felt God was encouraging me and encouraging the church that if he has called us, then he has called you. Irrespective of who you are, what you've done, how you look like, if he has called you, then he will equip you. And he has called you. And God reminded me, he has called us for this time and to be in Jackie kingdom. So as he calls us, he equips us. But sometimes we look and say, oh, there's one or two options. The first look is we might sit and say, oh, but I feel so unworthy because of what, whatever reason. If we look back at what I've just said about the fact that um, Jesus was tempted. Temptation doesn't disqualify us. And also, even if we do sin, that uh, 1 John says that, I write to you, brothers, that you may not sin. But even if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So even if we do mess up, we can go to him. So don't write yourselves off just because you feel like you, you maybe don't cut it in every single aspect. The fact is God equips us. And God walks us with us and he grows us. But the key is whatever he's called you to is are you relying on him? Jesus' response was, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He pointed straight back to the Father and said, I need to rely on Him. Are we relying on Him for everything? And I, I was just thinking about this and a few examples. If you happen to be someone who stands in a boardroom for whatever reason, maybe you're part of the, the guys who lead the company or whatever, if, if that's your job for the, from Monday to Friday and you develop the strategies to make sure the business grows and, and stays sustainable, are you relying on Christ for that? to stand up there, to set a strategy. Now, God's given some of us special, uh, specific abilities that are then used in those situations, but are we relying on him in the use of that ability? Maybe your job is cleaning cars. Do you, and you do a really good job, are you relying on God to, to clean every single car you clean? Are we relying on him? And the way to start that is to acknowledge it. Lord, thank you for the gift you've given me in whatever the gift is, that I can do this, Help me to do it to your glory. That's the starting point. Once we can do that, it becomes a lot easier to, to then understand that he's given us and to make sure we continue to rely on him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 just speaks about Jesus being tempted. I, I'm going to jump slightly back here. And he says that, uh, sorry, it's, uh, let me make sure I got the right one. Hebrews 2 verse 18, yes. Uh, for because he himself has suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So I've jumped a bit back. Sorry, I forgot to read this earlier, but I think it's important. Is that when we are tempted, the fact is that the Father or Jesus understands that because it says he was tempted in every way we are. So don't forget that. But, so that was Jesus' first temptation. The second one, so then Satan kind of takes him from that point and it says it takes him to Jerusalem to the top of the temple and says, just throw yourself off. 
the Bible says, and now Satan's quoting the Bible, the scripture, and he says, the scriptures say that he will give his angels charge over you. They will catch you. They will look after you. You won't even stub your toe. And that scripture is, that's a scripture reference. Jesus' response, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And as I was reading this, I felt the second temptation that we still face nowadays is about testing what God has said. Now, I'm not talking about things where maybe someone has a prophetic word that, that, is, that someone gives to you says, you know, move to a different house or to a different place or a different country. I'm not talking about those things where they are something that's, that, need, that the Bible then tells us to test. I'm talking about where God has very clearly said something. Do this, and we then go and question what God has said. We test what God has said. Unnecessary. You question the very direct things that God has said. Again, give you an example. The Bible, both New Testament and Old Testament, speaks very strongly about sex outside of marriage. So if you are debating whether you should have an affair, it's not. You're questioning what God has said. It's, obvious, it's an obvious no. Don't question it. If you're debating whether you should sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's a no. The Bible's very clear. These are, undebate, these are, these are things we shouldn't be questioning. Johann spoke last week about if you're debating whether you should pay your tax, the Bible's pretty clear on that. I'm talking about stuff where God has very clearly said this. And he said it very clearly to us. And for some people, that might be something that is maybe not um, clear-cut in the Bible. My wife and I, we choose not to listen to non-Christian music. Not because there is an issue with non-Christian music, but because it's a conviction that we believe God has given us. So now if we go and question that, it's a problem for us. Because we're questioning what God has said to us. So when God says something very clearly to you, are you questioning it? Same thing for us. I'm going to use us as an example again. God, we feel that God has said don't drink. We don't have an issue with people drinking. And if people, alcohol obviously, that's what I'm referring to. And we have friends who drink and we can't happen to say, if you're going to drink, come have a, you're welcome to bring alcohol or a glass of wine and have a glass of wine with us at dinner. I have no problem with that because the Bible doesn't say don't drink. It says don't get drunk. We choose not to. If we now start to question that, it's what God has clearly said to us. So what has God said to you? This is my second thing. What has God said to you this morning that you're questioning? That you're saying, well, I don't know. I'm unsure. If God has clearly spoken about something, do it. It's that simple. This is not always easy to get up and do it, but the reality is we need to choose to do what God has said. That was Jesus' second temptation. The the third one, what happens is the devil now takes Jesus to um, a very high mountain. And he shows Jesus, the Bible says, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And, says, and he says, Jesus, if you just bow down to me, I will give it all to you. Just worship me and I'll give it all to you. And we are tempted by this every single day. It's about worship of something other than Jesus. If we're honest, we are always tempted about this because we often equate it to maybe a person or maybe another God, um, but there are so many things we can choose to worship. There are so many things that we do worship. Um, it could be money. It could be we, we're spending our life chasing after money. It could be spending your life chasing after that promotion at work, that next job. It could be spending your life chasing after a, a husband and wife if, you, if you're single. It could be a number of things. So the question is, how do we know what we worship? And I bought this little book from a gentleman by the name of Louis Giglio many, many years ago. And he writes a slight or a small description. 
and I love how he puts it. So I'm going to read it from his, his words because it's the best way for me to put it. He says, so how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. At the end of that trail, you'll find a throne, and whatever or whomever is on that throne is of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. Follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. When's the last time you went and looked at your bank account and said, what's this trail look like? When's the last time you went and looked at your diary and said, what is my diary saying about me? What is it saying about what I value? Now, I'm not suggesting that we, we go to work. I mean, I, I have a day job. I work for NetBank Monday to Friday. I'm not suggesting I go there and I don't do my job because that's also, that comes back to the first point. What, what has God clearly said? He speaks in Ephesians about how you should obey your masters, those who you work for, your, your employer, how you should be, give to them what's due to them. So I'm not saying we don't do that. But if we don't take the opportunities at work to spread the gospel, is work more important than Jesus? If we're missing those opportunities purposely, even if we, maybe it could be purposeful that Jesus says, you know, let's, I would like you to go speak here. And we say, no, we don't because we're nervous or shy or something. That, that could be it. But it could also be we just don't pay attention. And I do use the word we there intentionally because I'm included in this. If we just go to work to simply work and not to spread the name of Jesus, actually work might be more important than Jesus. Yes, I know sometimes we don't have the freedom to do that. But what about, the Bible says, I prayed about it this morning in prayer meeting, your kindness leads us to repentance. So if people know you're a Christian and you notice that someone's going through a hard time and you show them kindness, that's a really simple way to spread the name of Jesus. Because they know you're a Christian and they know that that's how you've chosen to respond. Do we do that? Where is our affection? He speaks about affection. Where is our affection at? What, what are we giving our affection towards? And for me, I, I love cars. Do I spend more time reading about cars than I do, about, than I do spending time with Jesus and his word? Well, if I do, there's a problem. My affection is on cars and not on Jesus. May I even say, if your affection is more towards your spouse or your kids than it is to God, we have a problem. It is because I love Christ first that my marriage is secure. It is because I love Christ first that my kids find security in me. If I don't, if I don't love him first and put him first, if he's not the most important, then we, we're going to... We, we don't worship him. We, we start to worship other stuff, whatever it be. And I mean, I think we've heard a, a number of things being said about that. So my first point was Jesus took on flesh. The second one was Jesus was tempted. And under that, just those three, th three points, I want to just recap them quickly, is that 
the reliance on God. And, my, and at the end, when we have ministry time, are, are, these, are these things that you need to stand with someone? So reliance on, on ourselves versus reliance on God. Um, question God what he has said and worship in something else. And if you, at the end of the service, if you're feeling like you, you're being stirred, if the Spirit's stirring you in something like that, please come and let someone pray with you. And my final point is that Jesus is a high priest. And I, and I mentioned the scripture earlier. If you want to read earlier, if you read, turn to John, sorry, 1 John 2 verses uh, 1 to 2. And I, I'll close with this because it is so important. 1 John 2 verses 1 to 2. It says, uh, John's spoken about, uh, he's just written about um, being in the light. And then he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you do not sin. So the first expectation is, hey guys, don't sin. But then he goes on and says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this morning, if you, as I close, if you're sitting here firstly and you have never heard that Jesus is the atonement for sin, and you've never met with him, then please don't go without meeting Jesus. It's the first step. There's no ways that you're going to get, you'll never find fulfillment in life unless you meet him. And then the second thing, as I close, is that if any of those other things you felt for you, Please, come stand. let someone stand with you. Let someone pray with you.